Church, last week we started a, a little short uh, sermon series called uh, Word, or Our Words, and this Sunday I'm putting a pause on that um, because I was asked by our uh, denomination and district if I would lead one of the breakouts at Windsor One Day. And um, I've, I've done youth ministry for about 15 years, but I've been out of the game for a while. And uh, I'm really nervous about speaking to high schoolers and, and middle schoolers. Um, and, and so I thought that this Sunday uh, that I would, I would come to you and I would practice um, what I'm going to be... <laughs> what I'm going to be talking to, to the youth about. Um, Layla and Zoe, maybe afterwards you can tell me, like, nah, that ain't it, fam. Like, you got to change up that, that message. Um, but but here's, here's the, other, the other reason why I thought it would be good to, to bring this Sunday what I'm going to be talking about on Saturday. Um, the question will come up on the screen. This is the question that they wanted me to lead um, for the breakout, and is what does it really mean to follow Jesus every day? And um, I think we all wrestle with that question. And, and I think that, again, one of the reasons that I wanted to stop and say, hey, let's take advantage of this and let me take some opportunity to talk with us about this uh, today um, is because as I've been thinking about the answer to this question, really what I've landed on is... Um, my biblical understanding and my worldview um, inform my answer to this question. And, and I think, hey, that'd be good for you guys to know. <laughs> how does Vince view the Bible? What, what's his worldview? How does he, how's he look at the overarching story of Scripture? And I just thought, man, what an opportunity for us together to get together and, and to explore that. Um, what does it really mean to follow Jesus every day? And um, and, and one of the things that, that our next-gen team told me for our denomination is, says, look, research today says that, that while, G, while teens believe in Jesus, uh, they really don't know why it matters to our day-to-day -day living. And I think if we're honest, uh, we've all had problems answering that question. Why does it matter? What, what is, what, why, does, why, does, why does it matter for Monday? Why does it matter for Wednesday? Why does it matter in the workplace? Why does it, what, what does it matter that, that Jesus has saved me? Um, here's, here's, here's the thing, here, I, the way that I was introduced to, to following Jesus, and I think that a lot of us have this picture of what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know if you guys have been introduced to this chasm kind of picture where we're standing on one side and I'm going to use the historic symbol of the Trinity to just present God. And, and I don't know if you guys have been introduced um, to the gospel this way, is that there's this chasm because of our sin that has separated us from God. And no matter what we do, we can't get across this chasm. Does this picture reign true? For anyone? Yeah? Right? Like, totally making sense, right? And let me just pause really quick and affirm 
uh, that sin separates us from God. All right, so as I explore this, what I don't want you to walk away from this morning is saying Vince doesn't believe in the ramifications of sin. Okay, that's not what I'm saying here. But, but what we've been given this picture is, is that while we can't get across there ourselves, the cross of Jesus allows us like a bridge to get from where we're at to God. Yeah? Following? Yes? Common picture, right? We're all driving with that. Like, yeah, that's, that's the gospel. And, and, and yes, Jesus saves us from the ramifications of sin. Again, I'm not like booting that out of historic, like forever church doctrine. <laughs> but I think that when we just get this picture, it leaves us with questions, right? Because a lot of times if, if this is the picture we're given and it's like, well, Jesus has died for our sins and then, and then we will get to be able to be with God in heaven, that no, it kind of makes sense why so many of us have this question of like, well, why does today matter then? What, what, is, what does it matter today? And then I think there's also these other questions that, get, that a lot of us wrestle with is like, so what's the purpose of the church? What's my relationship with the church meant to look like? Right, because if we're given this picture of the gospel that is, I have this sin, I am a sinner, and Jesus saves me, and now I get to be with him forever, we're left with this, under, this question of like, so why do you matter? <laughs> right, like what is, what's this all about? And I think the other question that maybe the, the, that the church has historically wrestled with is, well, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? What is, what is he up to? <laughs> in all of this. And, and I, I, again, I, I want to emphasize, look, I, I believe that, that sin separates us from God, that it has this death effect. But I think that, there's, that we can have a more robust picture of what's happening over the pages of Scripture. And I think that, that, that what, what happens is when we get introduced to the gospel this way is that we're starting with Genesis chapter 3. And we're not starting with Genesis chapter 1. And I think that the picture that when we start talking about how do we view the overarching story of what God is up to in us, amongst us, around us, you've probably over the past maybe year or so have, have recognized, man, I, I so often go back to Genesis chapter 1. The, because for me, the creation account is introducing us to how we are meant to read the rest of pa the pages of scripture. And, and so what you see at the start of it all, it starts with this picture of, of and forgive my inability to draw well, but it, it starts with, with God. In the beginning, God. And as you read over the pages of Scripture, like that has to become our starting point. And what we're introduced to is, is this, this dynamic picture of a God who is love. And there in and amongst himself, he is love. That there is this relational component to who God is. That the Father has always loved the Son, and the Son has always loved the Father, and the Son has always loved the Spirit, and the Spirit has always loved the Son, and the Spirit has always loved the Father, and the Father has always loved the Spirit. That, that, that there is this dynamic picture of a God who is relational. And then he creates the world. 
He, and, and, and that picture of creation is that he's bringing uh, chaos and he's bringing it into order. He's taking chaos and, he's, and, and, and now the cosmos are filled with, teeming with life. And then he creates people. And, and, and the imagery is, is of, of, of a people that are in relationship with God, but also in relationship with one another. That there is this relational component to life that we cannot get around. And it's this understanding that it's not good for us to be alone. And then, and then we then also are partnered with God. And so you'll see that, 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 if you can go to the next slide, that what I see described in these opening pages, uh, this is all called the with God life. Um, go to the next slide, if you would, please. Um, what I see introduced to us in, in the opening pages of Scripture is that we were created to enjoy God. Right? This is when you look over and, and, and all of creation happens and God makes humanity and he, and it's, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he makes humanity and, 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 and everything there seems to be complete and in order. He said, it is very good. And then he introduces the Sabbath. And then there's no end to that day when you look at the opening pages of the Genesis account. And it's this picture of us just now being in creation, enjoying a rest-filled, joy-filled relationship with God. The other uh, thing that you see introduced to us in the opening pages of, of Scripture is that God says, let us make man, let us make humanity in our image. And, and the understanding there, again, there's this dynamic relational component to it. And there's also this understanding that we are designed to image him. We are designed to be a people that are his image over, that, that, that then interacts with and operates around creation. You were designed to be like him. And then the other understanding that we were given is that we're meant to reign with God, that he, that he forms us and he, and he tells us, like, I've given you all of creation. Right? These, this is the picture of, of how we were designed, of how we were formed, and it begins to hopefully then inform for us how we're supposed to spend our days. Why, what does it matter to be in relationship with Jesus? What does it matter to, what does it look like from day-to-day -day life to really be with him? Well, here it is. Enjoy him. Image him. Become like him. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. And, and reign with him. Govern. Have dominion over earth. And listen, it... it, it kind of makes sense just to be able to stop and say, okay, yeah, let's, let's go do that. Right? But, but easier said than done. And, and the reason that I want to draw out this next place is because this, what, what scriptures then begin to do, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and then we come across Genesis 3, and scripture spends so much time teaching us that we live in this relentless cycle. And that we have to be aware of this relentless cycle. 
what is, what is that relentless cycle? I don't know what the fruit was. Was it an apple? I don't, we don't know. Um, I, I doubt it was an avocado. <laughs> I really do. Um, and and, and the, the, the image that takes place now is that, that creation is, has this influence about it, that something has gone drastically wrong, that, there, that there's a force that we in and ourselves cannot break, right? That, that, that Adam and Eve take because they see in, in that fruit a way to have autonomy from God. And, and the temptation that, that takes place there and what happens is now the story is rather than a with God life, now creation is about a people apart from God. And rather than enjoying him, we saw the fruit as good to the eyes. Rather than imaging him, the temptation of the snake was you will be like God. Even though they already were, the temptation was this place of autonomy. Like we can be like God ourselves. We can be like God apart from God. And then, then we begin, and then we would have the knowledge of good and evil that we would begin to reign from our own understanding of good and evil. And scripture begins to teach us that we are constantly living that same pattern out of ruling and reigning and imaging from our own understanding. And, and you'll actually see it happen over and over again when you read over the pages of Scripture is that you'll see that same language. And I think I talked about this a few months ago of Eve saw that the fruit was good to the eye and she took it for herself and then Adam and Eve hid. And then you'll actually see if you, if you read over the pages of Scripture like there's the sin of Achan in the book of, of Joshua where what happens with him is that he sees a robe and it looks good and he takes it and then he goes and hides it. And actually when Israel, the nation of Israel, chooses Saul to be their king, the way that he gets introduced to us is that he looked good. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. And they took him to be king, and then the very next time that we get introduced to Saul, he's hiding. And so that same pattern takes place. And then when we get introduced to King David, and when, well, he's later on in his reign, and he's up on the balcony, the way that things get described there, even this really good and godly man who has a heart like God, he sees Bathsheba, and she, he sees that she's beautiful, and he takes Bathsheba for himself, and then he tries to hide what he's done. And that story is constantly lived out by us. What's happening in that story is that we are trying to get delight from our own power. We're trying to grasp and attain blessing under our own strength. And if we are not 
aware that that is the propensity of humanity, then our day-to-day living is going to be filled with that same pattern. And what the story of Scripture is telling us is that that this is happening then on on our multi-level kind of place, that it's happening in the world, it's happening in our families, and it's happening in our flesh. It's happening in us. And, and so what we, what we get introduced to is that there's this force, there's this forming that's taking place around us. And one of the major themes of Scripture is this theme, Babel slash Babylon. That, that, that humanity is creating systems and structures and, and, and there's, there's just a way that we're living that is apart from God. And then there's this other theme that begins to take place called sibling rivalry and family dysfunction that's constantly at play over the pages of Scripture. That, that what ends up happening is that those that are meant to be unified, those that are meant to be brothers, are actually at odds with one another. And what you end up seeing is that there's this constant story. Who's at war over the pages of Scripture? Well, it's the descendants of Noah that are at war with one another. Who's at war with one another? It's the descendants of Jacob that are at war with one another. Who's at war with, right? So it's Esau, it's Ishmael and Isaac. It's Esau and Jacob. It's, it's this constant understanding that our families are facing dysfunction. And, and we need healing. We, we, need, we need resolution there. We need redemption. We need reconciliation to take place amongst us. And then there's our own flesh, that there's a forming that has taken place within us. There, there's a way that we have learned to live, and we are constantly living this out. And so what does God do? And by the way, there's also this, this one called the devil, the accuser, right? He's also at play in the world. And so what you end up finding over the pages of Scripture that the ones that are the three that are at odds, the things that we are constantly at war with, and what is, where sin and death is reigning in the world is the common uh, saying, it's the devil, it's the world, and it's the flesh. That those three, this unholy trinity, are at work. And, and we, have, we have come alongside and we have been victims of these three forces in the world. We have partnered with, but we have also been victimized by these forces in the world. If you want to explore um, those three a little bit more, I would recommend to you a book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Absolute incredible read um, that will that will explore those three in a really dynamic and um, an approachable way. But here's, here's, here's what we see also take place over the pages of Scripture, is that God is relentless in his love. He is absolutely relentless in his love and his faithfulness. And what he does is that he, he chooses a people that will image him. He chooses a people who he will abide with, who he will tabernacle with. He chooses a people that he will continue to establish his kingdom here on earth with. 
right? And, and so what he does is that he has this relentless pursuit. And so over the pages of scripture, or particularly what we've come to call the Old Testament, it's the story of Israel. And what, what God is doing over this story is that he's chosen a people for himself, not because there's something special about them, not because they were better than everyone else, not because they had already shown this potential about them, but they're humble and they're small and, and, and there's not really something dynamic and unique about them. If anything, that there are ways that they show that they, they fail to a larger degree than the rest of the nations around them. But what you see at play is that God chooses a people that he, he will constantly have, he will have a covenant with them. He will be faithful to them. He will, he will love them so that they live this out. But what you also see taking place over the pages of Scripture is that even though they are chosen and set apart and God is faithful to them, they repeat the pattern. They constantly go back. They constantly go back. And we're left in this place of desperation. Who will save us? Who will save us from this cycle? We, we cannot, under our own power, overcome the rule of sin and death amongst us, right? And that's where the cross of Christ comes in. And, and the understanding here is that sin and death are placed in the body of Jesus. And there on the cross, he conquers sin and death. He shows himself to be more powerful. He shows himself that he reigns supreme over sin and death and makes a way for us to break free from that cycle. Here's what it says in Romans chapter uh, 8, looking at verse 3 and 4. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And the understanding here is that Jesus breaks us free from the reign, the control. We're described as captives to sin and death. And he breaks us free from that, and now we can live a life that's defined by the leading of his Holy Spirit. And now here's the really, really big picture that scripture then introduces us to is that a lot of times what, what, what we're told is, is, is this is that there's this chasm between us and Jesus died for us so that when we die we can get into heaven 
and, and the movement of Scripture isn't us towards heaven, but it's heaven towards us. And what God does, and, and you ever, well, let me pause and ask, the, ask it this way. Do you ever, when you, when you read over the first four pages of, of the New Testament, which we've, I've called the gospel accounts, you ever stop and wonder about the fact that the gospel accounts wait a really, really, really long time to talk about the cross? We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John, that, that together they are telling the story of the Gospel. But I don't know percentage-wise, maybe 80% of them, 80% of them aren't talking about the cross and the resurrection. But we call the collection of them the Gospels, the Gospel account, the Gospel narratives. Why? It's because of this understanding that what, what, what the gospel accounts are doing are describing the movement of heaven towards earth. And it's happening in the body and presence of Jesus. So when you see him interacting with humanity and saving people and delivering people and healing people and, and teaching people, the gospel is at play. Heaven is moving towards earth. And so it starts even with the story of a man named John where he's coming to us and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in the gospel proclamation. Heaven has come to earth. And, and so the cross and the resurrection is, is the, this, this incredible statement to us is that sin and death have been conquered. Sin and death have been killed. And now... There's going to be a day when heaven and earth will be perfectly mingled together. Heaven is coming towards earth. And if you read over specifically the book of Revelation, what you will see described in that book is a picture of heaven coming towards earth, not earth going towards heaven. It is, a, it is this incredible description of, of earth being restored, of being renewed, of being brought back to Genesis chapter 1. That's what's happening over the pages of Scripture. And so in the meantime, while there, we're waiting for this day where heaven will fully come upon earth, there are these pockets of heaven that begin to happen in the world around us. And so what, what ends up happening in communities like this is that we live, here's, here's the understanding, here's where we finally arrive. Can you go to, to, to the next picture real quick? It may, all this may have seemed like that conspiracy, conspiracy theory meme. I know that it looks like this. <laughs> I recognize that it looks like that. But we had to go through all of this to answer the question, what does today matter for? Because heaven is making his way towards earth. And your day-to-day -day living is a signpost of that day to come. That's the understanding. The understanding is that we today live as citizens of heaven. 
The day that is to come, guess what, church? It belongs to you already. It belongs to you now. And you are not waiting to get into heaven. It's where you live today. It's where you reside right now, together. And what we become is this picture of heaven on earth. So how does the world know and identify that you are followers of Jesus? By your love for one another, by the way that we interact with one another, by the way that we relate with each other, by the way that we enjoy one another, and by the way that we enjoy the presence of God amongst us. That we become this picture of where God is leading all of humanity. You're a, you're a signpost. You're a foretaste. You're an introduction. Your day-to-day -day matters because God has set you free from the dominion of sin on earth to what? If you can go to the next slide. I should jump forward two slides. To enjoy him. This is, this is the work of the Spirit amongst us, right? Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 is describing that you set free from the power of sin and death so that you can be led by the power of the Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing amongst us? He's teaching us to enjoy Jesus. To delight in him. The Holy Spirit is teaching us to learn the way of Jesus. Right, that's where Jesus is, he, he stands up in front of humanity and he says that like, if any of you are heavy burdened, like I will give you rest and you will come and learn from me. That our days are meant to be filled with a becoming like him, of enjoying him. And so then our days are meant to have these practices that invite his spirit to act upon us. Practices that invite his spirit to act with us. And practices that invite his spirit to act for us. That's what's taking place. And the other thing that I would say that's happening in order to learn his way is that brain science is teaching us, constantly teaching us, is that we will become like who we enjoy. And, and the reason that formation hasn't worked for so long in a lot of Christian circles is because we're constantly trying to give right information without joyful relationships. And we're hoping, we're hoping that if we just give people enough right information, that they'll go behave differently. Has that worked? Not very good. <laughs> but we've tried. We've tried really, really hard. <laughs> and it hasn't worked. But again, it all starts with a relational component. It 
all starts with a relational dynamic at play that we can't get around. That if we are going to be formed in the way of Jesus, we need, we need to identify who are my people. Who do I have attachment to? Because that is going to have a major impact on how I'm formed in the way of Jesus. Right? So, so our days are meant to be filled with enjoying him. That becomes our first and most important and healthy attachment that takes place. We are to enjoy the presence of Jesus. And this is a story of grace. This is a story of delight. This is a story of joy. We talked about it over our series on the table. Like, food is unnecessarily good. Food is unnecessarily tasty. And it is this declaration that God made the world to be enjoyed. So if there's chaos happening within us, if there's anxiousness that is reigning over us, that we recognize that we learn to first and foremost enjoy the presence of Jesus, to trust him and delight in him. And it begins to then teach us, form us. By the way, another way that we can be phrasing these things are follow, love, serve. That we're meant to, 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 to follow him. Him. Not to some kind of destination somewhere, but him. He's, he's our destination. He's the one that we learn to, to delight in. We also learn to love, that that is a formative type of a statement, that, that he is forming us in the way of love. We're a people who are becoming like him who is love. We learn to love him. We learn to love others. And that becomes who we are. And the last thing that our days should be filled with is that we are a people to pray and partner for his will to be done on earth. Right, the idea there is reigning. The idea there is right, we were designed to reign over creation with him. And so what this practically looks like in our day-to-day -day living is that we are prayerfully observing the world around us. And in this conversational relationship with God, we're simply identifying with him would your kingdom come and would your will be done there in that space? We're just simply identifying as we drive around or we're in the workplace or we're in our schools or we're at home. It's this simple place of just like, you know what? That doesn't look like the kingdom of God. So how can I pray for his will to be done there and how can I partner with him to see his will be done there? just this relational component where we're processing with God whether or not what we're seeing happening here on earth looks like his kingdom or doesn't look like his kingdom. And we bring it before him. May your kingdom come, may your will be done right there. In Sarah Mesa, in San Diego, in California, in the world, would we see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth? I know 
a lot of the times what we are constantly wrestling with is what's God's calling on my life? And particularly in our culture, man, we are inundated with, with this, this pressure to figure out, like, what are you going to do with your days? When we meet one another, when we talk with strangers, when we're on airplanes, one of our first and go-to questions is, what do you do? What do you do? And I think there's just become this pressure on us that we need to be doing. And when we ask questions like, what is your, why does the day-to-day -day really matter? A lot of times it's infused with this like heavy guilt. Like, what do I need to accomplish today in order for God to like me? What do I need to do in order to get the delight of God? And I hope that what we recognize over the scribbles up here is that God designed you to be with him. To have a with God life. That the most important aspects to our day is that we are learning what it is to enjoy God and enjoy one another. And in those spaces, that it's this place of longing, would we continue to see your life and your goodness flourishing amongst us? So you can be a student, and you can live, live these things out. Enjoy him. Find pockets of time where you're still and you're present, in, in his presence. You can be a student. You can be, you can be in the workplace, and you can find ways to learn his way. Um, and, and you, wherever component, you can be a student, you can be in the workplace, you can be retired, and you can pray and partner with God for his will to be done here on earth. It, and, and what matters is that we have this with God life. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I... I just simply ask that, that this would continue to be a community of people in which we enjoy you. Um, where where we, we, we enjoy your presence. And, and Father, I pray that a part of that work that you're doing amongst us is that we would know you um, for who you are that we, we would be a people that are just have this, this hunger, this appetite to know, to know you, to spend time with you, to be with you. And, um, and Father, I pray that in those spaces, that when we're with you, um, Lord, all of this, this angst, the anxiousness, the stress, the relational tensions, the work problems, that all of those things that exist that we navigate in day-to-day -day life um, because we've learned what it is to be with you, 
is that we see you dwelling within, uh, with us and within us in all of those spaces of turmoil and trouble. That we would have this regular rhythm and pattern to our days in which we are spending time with you. We know what it is to be aware of your presence so that when we're in these difficult, tough spaces of life, is that we would know your abiding presence with us. And so, Father, for brothers and sisters in this room or those that are watching online that have just been navigating difficult spaces where, where days have been filled with stress and anxiety and worry and doubt and frustration and, and injustice, um, would they know the sweetness and the nearness of your presence with them? Father, I... I guess what it all boils down to is I just think about your letter to that church in Revelation. They did all of these great things, but they forgot their first love. And Father, I think about us as a community, and I just, I just pray that, that it would, like if we were to have re receive a letter, that it, what it might say about us is, is that, we, that we love we're passionate about you. That is, our, that is our aim. That's what we are striving for. That is what we long to see happen amongst us is that we are a people that enjoy you. Help us to fall in love with your presence. So I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Hey, um... Any questions? We normally don't do this, but anything that just is like, that makes zero sense to me? And I can start over and we can spend another 35, 40 minutes doing this? <laughs> Both. It's, yeah. Yeah, John Mark Comer leads a community or a past uh, church up in Portland, Oregon that is just filled with um, young people. Um, so he's, a lot of the, the places he's ministering are more towards young adults, um, but I think that a, maybe an older youth could definitely read that. I, yeah, so there's these times in our lives where things just feel dry, right? There's these times in our lives where it's just like, that I don't, I've, I've done all the practices, and whoop, still don't sense any presence of God. Um, I, th I think two things. Um, one is... Um, the church historically has loved spiritual practices and has tried different practices. And I used to not like the word like religion and rituals and traditions, but I have just fallen more and more love, in love with those spaces because they, um, it's almost like I get to glean from the wisdom of the church and the ways that the church has historically experienced the presence of God. So I would say try different practices. Um, change up, maybe more than two things, um, change up the routine in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't know, I remember, it was actually Serene that said it quite a few years ago, is that when she wants to get the gears turning in her mind is what she'll do is sometimes take a different route to work. And that, just that simple, like, I'm gonna take the 163 instead of the eight or whatever to get a certain place, all of a sudden it just changes the dynamic in which way that we're thinking. 
Um, and so that different, just trying different practices and routines can, can kickstart things. Um, I would also say that don't be afraid of the long desolate places. Um, I think a lot of times we, we, we've maybe unwittingly have taught people is that the relationship with Jesus is always meant to feel like this fiery passion. And a lot of times those seasons of dryness are his doing. Um, and there's just, uh, Eugene Peterson does an incredible job writing about that. And that the story of scripture is, is a people who navigate the silence of God. And, and that's okay. Be, be okay in those places of silence. Um, be okay continuing to pursue him in those places because your roots are going down deeper into a way that you cannot even begin to imagine. And can we even talk about collectively as a church that I would say over the past two, three years, in a lot of ways because of COVID, because of transitions, because of, uh, of just like, there's been a lot of, of transition that's taken place that maybe even as a community, we have felt that. Like, hey, God, where are you? And what are you doing amongst us? Um, don't be afraid of those spaces, church, because God actually might be forming us and causing our roots to grow, grow down deeper in a way um, that um, are to bless us. And then the other thing I would say is serve. I mean, I know you do it, but get connected with people um, in, in those times because when you're connected with others and there's relational joy that's taking place, um, then a lot of times formation is easier to happen when there's relational connectivity and delight and fun that's happening. Um, so it may be looking like, depending on your personality and what you enjoy, it may be like going, having a beer with a really good friend and talking about Jesus and talking about what you're wrestling with. Um, and that place of delight, that place of fun um, may actually ease some of those points of anxiousness that are taking place. I think um, it's looking at Jesus would be my first kind of response there is I love the picture of when he comes out of the waters of baptism. He has accomplished zero ministry and, and heaven breaks open and the father says, this is my son in whom I delight. Um, that looking over uh, the gospel accounts and seeing the love that exists between the Father and the Son is absolutely shaping and formative for us as a church. He loves the Son just because they, they've always loved um, one another. Um, I would also, I, mean, I got to take advantage of the moment and say, practice Sabbath. Practice Sabbath. Um, because Sabbath is this this weekly reminder that we work has yet to be finished. There is still work to do, but God commands me to be still and enjoy him. And if we have that practice of Sabbath, I think it'll have a really just dynamic, formative work in our lives.